Okay. Good evening, everyone. I'm Shimon Felix. I'm here this evening filling in. Um, nice to be here. Uh, and we're going to look at the first section of the Pasha of Toldos uh, with a few Rashis. And I think we have here, we have one little, one little Sfarno at the very end. You have to look now. Uh, and we'll look at it later on. Um, we'll get it later on. Um, so, as we know, this is a difficult, it's a difficult Pasha. Um, the relationship between Yaakov and Esau is, is extraordinarily problematic. Um, more so than I think Yitzchak and Yishmael. First of all, Yitzchak and Yishmael don't have much of a relationship. Not much goes on between them. They come together at the end of last week's Pasha to bury Avram Avinu, but otherwise there's not much interaction. Um, and any bad feeling they might have between the two of them is easily explained by the competition between the two mothers. You know, it makes sense they shouldn't get along. Uh, uh, there's a lot of tension between Hagar and Sarah, Sarah. Understandably so. The whole, you know, monogamy is a very good idea. Uh, um, and so the children they shouldn't get along. You know, shouldn't get along. Uh, whereas Yaakov and Esau were twins, and it, it feels... When you think about it, I mean, we're so trained to like dislike Esau that we sometimes can't get past it, but we should get past it. And when we think about it, it's really, it's, it's nutty. It's a little nutty um, that, you know, uh, uh, Yitzchak and Rivka could have an Esau. It like, doesn't make sense on some level. Um, whereas Yishmael, whatever is, is or isn't wrong with Yishmael, he comes out much better in the end, you know. He's Chazer Betshuva and... Um, so art is Hagar, Hamitris to blame. You know, you go, oh well, you know. Uh, whereas with, and also the tension of his, uh, his mother's situation and the birth and being sent away, so a kid would come out, you know, a little screwy. But uh, Esau, it's very hard to understand. It's very hard to understand why does there need to be an Esau? Why is there an Esau? And of course, we know that Chazal take Esau as they do with everything. And they run with him. You know, Chazal take what the Torah gives us and goes, you know, throws the long ball. <laughs> they do what they can with it. And so Esau becomes you know, the very embodiment of everything that's wrong. It's Christianity, it's Rome, it's all of our enemies, our most uh, our deepest enemies, our most profound enemies, and also our close enemies. And that Christianity is, you know, started with the Jews. Um, and, and so they turn Esau into that. So it's really like everything bad, you know. So it's strange. So we're going to have that in mind as we, as we take a look at the material. Um, I would also add that, you know, living as we do today, right? We all live today. Living as we do today, where genetics are so, you know, front and center. Uh, it, it's, sort of, it's sort of becoming like the penicillin. You know, penicillin became the penicillin of, of uh, disease you know, of a lot of diseases. So genetics is becoming sort of the, uh, not a panacea, the, the explanation for everything, for a lot of things, you know, for a lot of things. Um, I keep saying, if they find a gay gene, we're in trouble. We really are. We're, we're going to be philosophically in big trouble. Um, but they're, and they're looking. They're looking very hard. Uh, so, so I want to put genetics out there as we begin this evening. Um, because... You know, two twins, fraternal twins, the same, very close to having, you know, well, no closer than brothers, actually, you know, but like brothers, close to having the same genes. 
uh, also the same nurture, sort of, right? They, same mother, same father, same household. Um, although they seem to have a very careful sense of, of who's older and who's younger, it's a little hard to believe. I mean, they're the same age. So you don't have like an obviously older brother and obviously younger brother, which affects things. I mean, I see it, you know, in my own children, now my grandchildren. Uh, I see how the, the, uh, my granddaughter is two years older than my grandson. And it's affecting him. You see how he's not going to be the man he would have been if he was the first boy. No, it's true. It's really true. It's very interesting. So birth order obviously makes a difference. But here there's no birth order. There really, you know, although there is, that's the whole question. Is there a birth order? So I want to put the genetics out there as well. Like, like the well, Rashi, Quran Chazal, will it in some way collide with or, or mesh with some things we think today about nature and nurture. You know, nature being now genetics, and nurture being psychology, whatever we think about that. Okay, so let's take a look at the, um, at the, the Mikra first. Ve'ela told us Yitzchak ben Avraham, Avraham olidet Yitzchak. These are the descendants of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. And then it sort of goes backwards. Avraham is the father of Yitzchak. Right, we, everyone notices this is a little strange. We, we want to move forward to the descendants of Yitzchak, and then we're like, eh, stop. Avram's Yitzchak's father, which A, goes backwards, and B, we just said Yitzchak ben Avraham. You know, so it's really, like, weird. And so Rashi immediately uh, deals with this, a famous Rashi. Avram, you see, the second, I have them all here, but I'm not going to read them all. So you go to the second one, the first little one we're not going to do, the second, Avram Hobidet Yitzchak, right? Uh, since it does say in the, in the Chumash, uh, do we need to say, I mean, this is a question, not a question, but I, I will answer it as a question. Do you need to say that Avram gave birth to Yitzhak? We know. But it's, it's probably better to read it the other way around. We, we do need it. It's like, even though it says Avram, uh, um, Yitzchak ben Abraham, the Torah does need to say, Abraham alluded Yitzchak. Why? Because the wise guys of the, of the time, Omrim, would say, She became pregnant from Avimelech. Right? Yitzchak is not Abraham's son. He's Avimelech's son. Because after all, for any number of years, she was with Avraham. She didn't get pregnant. Right? And then she was, you know, a little bit with uh, uh, Avimelech. And there you go. She has a kid. It must be Avraham's fault. And it must be Avimelech's son. Right? Very, very modern way to think. Okay? It's Avraham's fault. And it's Avimelech's son. So because of that, because of that little... He is Yitzchak's uh, Avram's son. Now all the wise guys say he's not Avram's son. Therefore, what did God do? He fashioned Yitzchak's face, the way he looks, to be like Avram, like his father. And everyone said, Avraham alivet Yitzchak. So did you read it like this? Ve'ela told us Yitzchak ben Avraham, pause, yeah, right. Yitzchak ben Avraham. Ha, 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 ha. Then they took a look at him. Ooh, taka, Avraham That's how Rashi, that's very common. Chazal, and Rashi's, you know, point Chazal here, Chazal typically put little dialogues in between Psukim and parts of Psukim. So like there's a dialogue going on between the announcement Yitzchak ben Avraham, 
right? Between that little announcement, then the late Sanei Hador are skeptical, and then God says, oh, I'll make sure he looks just like, you know, they saw her pregnant. So they were skeptical, there's not going to be Avram's son. And so Hashem made uh, Yitzhak look just like Avraham, and they all said, Taka Avraham, only did Yitzhak. Bezel Shikatav Kan Yitzhak ben Avraham, and that's why it says it because there's a dut there's, there's, it, 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 you can, it's proof there's proof that he's really the son of Avram because he looks like him now the, the expression Tsar uh, look it's not such a big deal a lot of kids look like their fathers and it's genetics and you're supposed to look like your father so it's like so we would say today so Hashem made sure that the genes went that way, right? You know, like, you go, who does it look like? I think it looks like you. No, it looks like you. It looks like Avram. Okay? So, so, yeah, so I only read this Rashi. It's not connected to our thing. But I read it because I want to show you that already with Yitzchak, there's like this concern, whose child is he? There's this concern about a genetic uh, inheritance. Is it Abimelech's kid? Or is it Avram's kid? And he looks, you can see that the genetic inheritance is really, he's Avram's kid. So I just wanted to point out that this is already in the story before we get to the more problematic and tricky question of Yaakov and Esau. Okay? Okay. Um, next passage. I'm back up in the Mikra here. Yitzchak was 40 years old when he married Rivka. Next pasuk. Yitzchak prayed to Hashem. Lenochach Ishtam means concerning his wife, about his wife. Kiakarahi, for she was a, a barren. Vayeaterlo Hashem. And God responded to his request. And Rivka uh, gave birth. So you have a very economical, right? It, like, it doesn't say, and Rivka was barren, and they were worried about it, and so he went. No, they say very economically, the Torah says it. Yitzchak prayed to Hashem concerning his wife, for she was barren, and Hashem took care of it. And she is now pregnant, okay? Um, next. Uh, no, let's now look at the Rashi. Okay, I want to look at the Rashi. Um, right, I'm sorry, I skipped the Rashi I want to look at. Okay, Lachashuf. When, in Pasuk Chaf, right, the second one that I read, when we're introduced to Rivka, right? I read through that quickly. So it's a long introduction. She's the daughter of Betuel, she's the sister of Lavan, da-da-da. Uh, so, we would expect the Mepharshim, Chazal, the Mepharshim, wait a minute, wait a minute, we just read a whole long, we know she is. We read a whole long story. He has a goes and he meets uh, uh, Lavan and he goes home with him and Betuel is there and he's not there. And we know who she is. Why be reminded again? So Rashi, the bottom Rashi on the right side, Bat Betuel, Mipadana Ramachot Lavan. Right, you'll see it, bottom Rashi on the right column. Was it already written, you know, back at Pasha, that she is the daughter of Betuel, the sister of Lavan, and she comes from Padana Ram? Why repeat it all? So rather, the repetition is for a reason. To tell you her praise. To praise her. Shaita bat rasha, vachot rasha, umikoma anshei rasha. She was the daughter, the sister, and came from a place of evil. That's why we stress. Betuel, Lavan, Padanaram. 
um, and she didn't learn from their ways. In other words, she has a genetic inheritance and a, a nurture inheritance, both from her father and her brother, and from her locale. Padanarami, they're rotten people, right? Better than the Canaanites, I guess, because I've said that they'd get a wife for Yitzhak, but still, rotten people. Uh, so she, she negates, rebels against, is able to mitakain, to fix this bad heritage she inherited, both genetically and in terms of the house she grew up in and in terms of the whole neighborhood, the whole village she grew up in, whatever Padanaram is exactly, area that she grew up in. So you have, so in a way, it's a kind of a backhanded compliment. She comes from nothing, miserable background. But, You'll see she's a good girl. She married Yitzchak, and then it's going to be good, and she, she's going to uh, uh, transcend her background, where she comes from. Okay, that's what Rashi says. So we're like reminded of a bad background, but we shabbat to praise her, that she's going to get out of this bad way of being. She's not going to be like that. Okay? Okay. We're not going to do the rest of the Rashi. It's about what Padana Ram means. Um, and then we had the Pasuk where... Yitzhak prays to God for his barren wife. She conceives. Um, and then, and we're told that she conceives because God answered, God listened to Yitzhak. lo Hashem. Right? God listened to him and she, gave, uh, she conceived. Now look at the Rashi on the left side. Not the first one, not the second one on that first line. The one that's about six lines down. Lenochach ishto. You see? Now I said, in simple pshat, he davened concerning his wife, for his wife, about his wife. But the nochach is a funny word, right? And nochach, nochach pnei ha-menorah, nochach usually is a physical kind of facing, in front of, right? So Rashi says, it means in front of his wife. It means facing his wife. It means in physical proximity to his wife. The nochach ishto, look at the Rashi, ze omeid bezavit zo umitpaleo, this one stands in this corner in Davins, Bizo Omedet, and she stands Bizavitzo in that corner, Umit Palel, the Davins. In other words, he Davined with her, is what it really adds up to. He Davined along with her, in concert with her. He stood there, she stood there, like a baby of a kind of thing. They don't stand together, very interesting. He stood there, she stood there, and they Davined. Now, this is like a funny thing. So that's why I said maybe it's not like a machitza thing. But it also is a feminist thing. Because it has Rivka davening. Right? They're both davening and other. Now, not just she like, oh, pray for me, pray for me. Which is a mode we see. Right? Rachel begs of Yaakov, pray for me, pray for me. No, she's also praying. So there's a kind of equality there. Right? Now look at this. lo, And he answered him. Lo, the lo, la. He answered him and not her prayers. She ain't domet filat tzadik ben tzadik, the filat tzadik ben rasha, the fichach lo velola. He answered him and not her. Because it's just not the same. A prayer said by a righteous person, the son of righteous people, that's a prayer. It's better than the prayer of a righteous person who is not the son of, the daughter, in this case, of righteous people, but rather she's the daughter of a Russia. As we were reminded, right? So, like, my head is spinning. <laughs> I thought, I thought that she knows she transcends that and she's better than that. It really, at the end of the day, she can't so transcend it. 
at the end of the day, it seems, HaKadosh Baruch Hu does uh, still recognize the fact takes into account the fact that he has Avram for a father, she has Yeshua for a father. Sorry, it's his prayers that are more uh, uh, pleasing to me, more important to me. The Yiddish counts. The Yiddish counts. I said it the wrong way. Because really, when you think about it, She'en domet filat tzaddik. I said Hashem, the tefillah is different. It's not that Hashem was playing favorites. That's not what it says in Russian. I, we said it wrong. You and I said it wrong. It's my fault. I led you astray. It's like this. The tefillah is different. Because otherwise it would be not nice. Hashem is like playing favorites. Why should... There's something that he has that she doesn't have. There are experiences. There are life lessons. There's living. After all, in Avram's house, your tefillah is not the same as the tefillah of someone who grew up with Pesuvah and Lava. What can you do? I would rather say it that way. You see the difference? I'd rather say it that way. But still, it doesn't help us. I, I mean, it's nicer. But still, she's trapped in her genetic and her childhood heritage. She is who she is. She can't escape that on some level, on the level of prayer, the quality of her prayer. And therefore, her prayer, not what did the trick. His prayer did the trick. All right? So, so we have a lot. I mean, the notion of them praying together is very nice. There's a, by the way, there's a story in the Gemara and Tanis about... Um, Chonia Magil's grandson. What's his name? There's a street in Katamanu. Him and his wife davened at the two sides of the roof for rain. It's a so he so, well, modeled it after this, you know. Um, but it's nice that they're both davening. And it's nice that we, we said earlier she's going to transcend the fact that she's the daughter of Besuel and the sister of Lavan. And now we're told that she's in some way limited by that fact. So... We have like two things going on, okay? Okay. Let's go ahead. Now we're back in the in the Psukim. Pasikhovbet. She's pregnant. Pasikhovbet tells us, the, the children, the boys, Yitrochitsu. Yitrochit is like to run around. Right? You want a text? It's right over there. Um, the boys like ran around. Bikirba within her. But Tomer, and she said, In Cain, if, if so, Lama ze Anochi. Why am I? Why am I? Uh, some sort of existential, I can't take it. You know, if this is the way it is, probably very difficult pregnancy, right? Two twins moving around all the time. But Telech Midrosh et Hashem. And she went to seek out God in some way. To find out what's going on, why is it like this, what can I do about it, maybe something can be done about it. So, this is a famous, very famous Rashi. Rashi explains this Hitrochitzut. And he says a very interesting thing. He says, You have to admit, you have to say, I'm sorry, you see where I am? Right in the middle of the left-hand column, by You must say, This Pasuk, and Rashi says a few times in the Chumash, demands that you dorish it. That you don't say pshat, you say drash. Rashi says this on the first Pasuk in Bereshis. He says it a few times. And it's always very interesting. Right? It's always very interesting when he does that. You can't say pshat. You have to bring in a drash. So whatever Rashi says is here, why not? Watch, I'll figure out a pshat. Watch, watch me, I can do it. And often Rashi will say, if you insist, I'll tell you what the pshat could be. He does that in Bereshis, for instance. If you insist, I'll tell you what the pshat could be. So it's always like an interesting question. Why is he like giving up and saying, no, 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 here I am, Mr. Pshat. 
right? Mo bossi ela pshuto shel mikra. That's why. Therefore, I was once. I, I got to tell you. I don't know why I have to tell you this, but I was once in Germany. I was actually twice in Germany. One of the times I was in Germany, I, I went to Worms, right? Now, Rashi apparently did live in Worms, didn't live in Worms a little bit, but in Worms, they make a big tzimus how that Rashi lived in Worms. You know, for a tourist thing, because it's already a tourist attraction because uh, Luther lived there. He had a church. It's not the church that he put up the, the piece of paper. Not that church, but his church, his own church. He put the paper on somebody else's church. He wasn't against his church. Uh, so it's a big tourist attraction. And there's a very, very old um, Jewish cemetery there. I think the Maharam, the Wittenberg, is there. He's buried there, I think. But it's really a very impressive, very old, very beautiful uh, uh, cemetery. And it's like a very strange thing being there. Because you see the busloads of Jews walking down to the cemetery. And the busloads of Christians walking up to Luther's church. Right? And then there's another building that they say is Rashi's base Medrash. And it's not Rashi's Medrash. It's like a mini, it's um, not even medieval. It's um, maybe a late medieval or even later than that building that they found. The mikveh, they found. The this, it's not from the time of the Rashi. But for whatever reasons, this is Rashi. And they have there like a statue of Rashi. Uh, it's, very, it's a modernist kind of statue of Rashi. And they have in Hebrew, Lobasi elalapshuto shel mikra. And I got, I cried, I got to tell you. I really, it did it to me. Like, you, you're there with these Nazis. You're there in Germany. With Luther's, he wasn't alive when Luther was alive. But it's all mixed up in your head, you know what I mean? And here's Rashi, like, I'm going to, here I am, you know, France, Germany. I'm going to explain this Torah. It was it just, if you ever happen to be in Germany, I'm not recommending that you go, so you should definitely go. You should, it's really an experience, it's really something. So, Rashi is the Pashtan, right? Even though people accuse him of not, the, the Rashbam famously accuses him of not being such a Pashtan. But still, why give up? So we have to think about that. So it says, the, the Pasuk demands that you dorate it. Why? Shesatam mahiritzitzazu. Because it didn't tell you what this Hitrochitzut is. It doesn't explain to you what, the big, what was going on. The katav imken lamazernochi. And yet it tells me, oh, if this is the case, why should I exist? You know, it doesn't make sense. The kids were moving around in their stomach. So you go, oh, darling, feel they're moving around my stomach. What is she so upset about? Right? So he says, in Pshan, it doesn't make sense. This is his problem, apparently. It doesn't tell me what the Ritzitsa is, and yet it tells us that it's, it's killing her. Okay? Rabotenu dashuhu lashon ritsa. So the rabbis explained it that Ritzitsa means to literally to run. That they're running. When you pass by the doorway of the Beit Midrash of Shem and Ever, Yaakov in, in utero, let's say, he runs and he like flails around to get out. Overet al pitchei avodazara, Esav mifarches, let's say, Esav, when she goes past the, you know, avodazara place, Esav flails around to get out. Stop. So, now why is this a drusha? Because uh, in uterus, children don't know what's going on outside. That's why. They might hear things, but they certainly can't see and distinguish yeshiva from uh, a temple, a pagan temple. So it's a drusha. Drusha means I use outside information. I, I go, I don't just use what's in front of me, but I take this outside information, I, so it's a drusha. So, what does is, what is Rashi do with this? What does this do to us by... by Telling us this story and saying this is the only way to understand the pasuk. There's no pshat. 
I can't figure it out without positing Beis Medrash, Yaakov goes crazy. Avodazara, Esav goes crazy. And now she's like, ah, I don't know what to do with myself. What does this do for us, this drusha? What does it make us think? What does it give us? There's a lot, a lot of stuff. No. What information does it give to us? So we got Yaakov and Esav. It's, it's all over. It's in utero. It's finished. It's a done deal. He wants to be Ovid of Azura. He wants to go learn. It's a done deal. So, this is very bad. It's, as we used to say in Yeshiva before your time, it's a stira in Yira to the lack of Bechira. It, 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 since there's no Bechirach of shit here, there's no, there's no free will on Esau's part, or for that matter, on you. let's just say that free will in, in the, you know, as, as, as fetuses, that free will. You know, one doesn't know what to do with this, you know, even without a modern sensibility. You know, 500 years ago, I, I wouldn't know what to do with this. Because 500 years ago, 800 years ago, the Rambam could write, right, for instance, everyone could be a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu, and everyone could be a Russia like Yeruvah ben Nevat, and so it's up to you, because if you don't believe that, then what's the Torah about? Do this, don't do that, I'll punish you, I'll reward you, if I don't have free will, what's it all about? Right? So, giving me an Esau like that, and a Yaakov like that, in utero, is very problematic. Very problematic. Um, also, it makes you think that maybe Rivka is not so bothered by the physical discomfort of the Hitwatsutsut. But more she's getting these contradictory vibes. You know, oh look, the baby gets excited when I walk by shul. Isn't that great? Oh look, the baby gets excited when I walk by the Abodazara. I, I think it's the, the content seems to, I think, as Rashi says, what she's so upset about. And the Joshua answers. I think the Joshua wants us to think that Rivka understands the meaning of, of this contradictory Hitrochitzut. And so she's not worried about her physical discomfort. She's worried about the existential problem of what do I have here? What's going on, you know, in terms of the future of the children of Avram and Yitzchak? Right? Right? Uh, then Rashi says, oh, here's another one. Now there's also drash. Mitzvotzitzim means they're fighting, they're wrestling, struggling with each other, uh, and fighting about who's going to inherit two worlds, this world and the world to come. The physical and spiritual blessing of being the son of Abraham and Isaac. The physical and spiritual heritage Right, the physical uh, heritage is Israel, the land of Israel, the Brit, right? And the spiritual heritage is Olam Abba, the spiritual Brit. So, and, uh, uh, so now, this is echoed in later Rashi's uh, um, uh, and later Hazal's, but here, it's not so pushy what Esau is like. He's not a bad guy. He wants the heritage of Abraham and Yitzchak. He's fighting Yaakov for it. Right? You know, what's the difference in this Dvar Acher? Right? Whenever there's a Dvar Acher, yes. so what was wrong with the first thing Rashi told us that he had to bring the second thing? Where's the second thing different from the first thing? So it's, is it Pshat? It's not Pshat. It's not Pshat. You have to posit that they're fighting and they're fighting about something. It's not Pshat. It's still Drusha. The first Drusha, they're parting ways. He's excited about this. He's excited about good thing. He's about that bad thing. The second Pshat, they're fighting over the same thing. They are competing for the same thing. 
So this is an Esav who wants to be the rightful heir of Avram Yitzchak. Which is, I guess, a good Esav. Yes? So maybe you could learn that Rashi is unsure of himself. Should I be, you know, uh, neg- should I not worry about the uh, uh, problem with um, free will and posit a from conception bad Esav? Right? Which, you know, we do that sometimes, right? Or should I look at it differently and say, wait, the free will thing? And then I'll say, no, I'll just posit competition between the two brothers. I won't posit opposite worldviews with the two brothers. I'll posit competition, which is, by the way, much more natural. Right? It's, it, it's not such a crazy drush to say the two brothers were faded from the womb to be competitors. That's all right. That, that already, okay, that works in the real world. A lot easier to say two brothers will in the room to follow different religious and spiritual paths. That's harder to say. So maybe that's what the second Rashi is doing as opposed to the first one. I don't know. We'll, let's see more. Okay? Um, see, the, the, the next Rashi kills me. But Tomer Imkain, as he says, if this is so, Gadol Tsar Ha'ibur, if so great is the, the tribulation of uh, uh, the pain of being pregnant. But Rashi just tells us it's not really the pain, it's really the problematic nature of it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Rashi means it was physically problematic, but you know, abnormally physically problematic. Because they weren't just turning around like babies do, they were running or fighting. First shot, second shot. Um, and so Hatsa'ar is like out of this world. I don't know, I'm not sure how this, you know, you understand what I'm saying, right? I said before that Rivka is, is privy to the, 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 the message of the drusha. She knows that there's something wrong with the kids personality-wise. Not just, it hurts my stomach. And in this Rashi, it hurts her stomach. Right? That's my problem. So maybe he meant in the first place. Uh, maybe I was going too far. And it just meant it hurts my stomach. But it hurts my stomach in such a weird way. No, none of the other women in the village ever experienced anything like this. Ah, why? Because they're doing these weird things. That the twins in the stomach, they kick, they this, they that, but they don't do this. So maybe it's just the physical pain that was the tip of the, I don't know. Um, no, the stress, the stress. So then, but Sarah Ibur, I'm with you 100%. But the problem is the word ha'ibur, of being pregnant, but maybe like of this pregnancy could fix it. Of this pregnancy. So then it could go back to what we said earlier. So it could be, thank you, that could be. The distress of it, and the distress could be not be physical. All right. Um, see, the problem is, this is on the curse of Eve. This tsar, that you'll have children with tsar. So one tends to like connect it to the physical like I did, but maybe it's a different. Also. It is, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I was never pregnant, so I can't say. But uh, it gets harder. <laughs> it certainly gets harder. Okay. <laughs> let's go. Good. So, we're, we're, either way, either way, we're okay. Um, let's not do the rest of the Rashi's for now. I, the, the, sort of, there's other stuff. We don't need it. Let's focus on what we need. So, let's go back to the Mikron. Um, and we're up to... Pasukhaf um, Gimel, right? She goes l'drochet Hashem. Pasukhaf Gimel, vayomer Hashem lo. Shnei goyim bevitneich. 
They, they have that in parentheses with the Gimel Yud Yud Mem, because that's not spelled in the Torah. It's without the Vav. They, they make a drush of Rashi. We're not going to talk about that. Shnei goyim bevidnech. There are two nations in your stomach. Ushnei umim. And two nations, mime ayich, two peoples, mime ayich iparedu. From your innards will separate. Ula'om, mila'om ye'ematz, v'rav ya'avod sa'ir. That is a little tricky, right? One nation to the other nation will be more powerful, something like that. And the older will work for, will serve the younger. So there will be two competitive, warring perhaps even uh, um, nations. And something can be flipped here from the natural order. The older will end up serving the younger. Alright? Um, so this solves a problem, I guess, in that I have strange twins in here. I have twins that are somehow... Um, so really, you know, the, 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 the free will question is in the Chumash. They're already fated to take very different paths. It's not as sharp as it is in the Rashi, where he's going to love Avodah and he's going to love learning Torah, but still, they're going to be two different nations, with two different cultures, and two different worldviews, and two different approaches, and, and warring all the time, and one will usurp the other, and that's expressed in utero. There, there it is, all that angst and anger and the competition, that's what you're feeling. All right? Okay. Um, the time to give birth came uh, she came to full term behold there were in fact twins in her stomach they were right it's strange like we knew that right um, um, do I want to look at that Rashi yeah it's on the next page so let's let's turn the page and the third Rashi on the right side, Vinay Tomim. You see Vinay Tomim, like six lines down? Chaser. It's not spelled Tomim, Taf Aleph Vav Mem Mem, but Tomim, without Aleph. Chaser, missing a letter. Ubi Tamar, and when Tamar conceives from Yehuda, and she has twins, Zerach and Peretz, uh, it says Tomim, Malay. It says Tomim spelled right. You know, it's, the Torah knows how to spell Tomim. It's not the Torah doesn't know how to spell Tomim. Lefi, because Sheshnehem Tzadikim. The two children of Yudam Tamar were Tzadikim. Avakan Echad Tzadik, Echad Rasha. So, like we erase a letter. We take off a letter to indicate one's no good. It's like a kind of a, like a, almost like a visual kind of, take off a letter because one's no good. They're missing something. One of the twins is no good. So, this again fits into the box of, wow, pretty early in the day to decide that one is no good. As they're born, the Torah tips me off, one is no good. It's not a full set of the kind of twins we'd like to see here. One's not good. So, I just wanted to point it out that another kind of Esau at birth is already doomed in some way to be in Russia. Okay, back. We have to flip back and forth a little bit. Let's go back to the Mikra. Uh, so the first one came out Admoni, red Kulok, Aderetze are all like a, with a, like a pelt of hair Esav And they named him Esav Which fits into a guy, a kid being born very hairy well, Rashi will explain And afterwards, Yatsa Achiv Right, this is the way it is Anybody here, anybody here have twins? Anyone? So, oh, so like How much time was in between the two? That's what they always ask, right? Eight minutes, there you go. 
That's why you, right, you hear that. Eight minutes in between the two. You hear those horror stories. Oh, you got to go home. The second one's not coming out, right? What do you think? Uh, <laughs> so afterwards, sometime afterwards, let's hope eight minutes. No, even quicker, because he's holding on to his foot. His hand is holding uh, Esav's ankle, uh, you know, uh, heel, heel. By Mo Yaakov. And they called him Yaakov, which certainly sounds like it's connected to Akev, Akev. Yitzchak ben Shishim Shana Um It's interesting, you're sort of missing. And they called him Esav because they're saying blah, 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 blah. And they called him Yaakov saying blah, 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 blah. But I guess it's pretty clear. The Yaakov is clear. And Esav also, he's Asui. He's all done. He's made. He's finished. Look at him. He's like a two-year-old. He's like, he's like newborns on TV. You know, whenever they show newborns, you can't really have a newborn on TV. So my wife's like, yeah, newborn. Which newborns are like that? <laughs> he's practically walking. Um, so he's like that. Big, big boy, all hairy. Um, and yes, look, we're reminded of 60. Let's stop there and look at these. Ra- yes, look, look, flip the page, please. And look at the Rashi, Chafhei Admoni. On the right side, the eighth line or so down. Siman hu sheyehei shofech damim. Red, Mars, red things are bad, bloody. He's going to be a spiller of blood. It's a sign, right? It's terrible. I mean, it's horrible. Poor kid. Um, there's a singer's story like this. I think it's called Blood. There's Isaac Bashev's singer's story about a sheikhet. You know, it's a sheikhet because a sheikhet because otherwise he'd be a murderer. So better he should kill animals. So there's a story by a singer. I think it's called Blood. Uh, about a sheikhet and in the end he becomes a murderer. Uh, it's a good story. Um, so Isaac's a redhead. This is what it means. Um, Kuloka deret se'ar, malay se'ar. Not important, he's all hairy. Um, everyone called him that. So usually it says Vayikra or Vatikra. He called or she called, right? Vayikushmo um, Esav, they called his name Esav. Who's them? Everybody. It's like the village, the world. Oh, look, let's call him Esav. Lefisha Hayona Sevenigmar. He was done. He was all, he was like mature. Bisa'aro, hair-wise. Kevin Shaniharpe, like a guy, a kid already a few years old. Very hairy guy, okay? So Esav is the name you give to a very hairy guy. Good. Next, um, no, let's not do this Rashi. Let's, let's skip this Rashi for now. Let's go back to our Mikra. Um, so that's Esav and that's Yaakov. Yaakov, all it is is that he's holding his ankle. I mean, you know, that's not so telling in terms of his personality. It is a little bit, maybe, in terms of Rav Yavod Sa'ir, that already Yaakov, who comes out second and is the youngest, you know, the Rashi, the Rashi I skipped is about, no, maybe Yaakov's the oldest, really. Because first in, last out, you know, you know this Rashi? You know this Rashi? So Yaakov was conceived first, then Esav was conceived, and so Esav was on top of Yaakov in the womb. Just imagine these like medieval pictures of a womb, yeah, little kids in the womb. And so Esav coming out first, but no, Yaakov was really first conceived, and he's the legitimate firstborn. This is like an attempt to, you know, ruin the whole st- This Russia ruins the whole story. So the point is, he's not the firstborn. And, yeah, let, let's look at the Rashi. I'll show you the Rashi. All right, go back, flip the page. Chavav. Vacharei chen yatsachiv. 
Shamati Midrash Agada. I heard of Medrash. Hadoshalafi Pshuto. That Tashin did according to the Pshat. In other words, this is not, this is a Medrash. Look, Pshat and Medrash, it's, no one knows what it means. Alright? It, it's not like clear categories. That's a Pshat, that's a Medrash. And Rashi is giving us an example. I mean, a lot of times you do know which is which. But here Rashi is saying, that I heard of Medrash Agada that Tashin did according to Pshat. It's like in the Ramban. The Ramban, whenever, almost whenever, he uses Kabbalah, it's to tell you the Pshat. Unless it's like just a, hey, you want to get some neat Kabbalah? You know, he does that sometimes. But when, it's, when, he, when he asks a few questions, and then he gives a couple answers, and then he says, you know, but, Alderech HaSod, Alderech HaEmes, which is he saying? Bah! Alderech HaEmes, right. Uh, it's Pshat. The Kabbalah often will answer a Pshat question. So I think Rashi means, this is a Joshua, but it answers a Pshat question. Bidin haya ochezbol akvo. It was right and legal and just for him to hang on to the, hey you come back here. <laughs> because Yaakov notzami kipari shona. Yaakov was created from the first drop of sperm. They sab minashniya. They said from the second. Say ulamad mishfoferet shepiak tzara. You can, you can uh, see a good model of this from like a funnel, with a, 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 a funnel kind of opening, right, a, a thin opening. Put in two rocks, one after the other. That which goes in first, takes that corner, and when you turn it over, it will come out second. The rock you put in the funnel and falls down, then you put another rock, turn it over, the second rock comes out first, that's Esau. Um... So it turns out that Esav was conceived, created late, later, comes out first. And Yaakov was conceived first, comes out second. The Yaakov Balakvo, and Yaakov wants the right justice. He comes to stop him. That he Yaakov should be the first to be born, like he was the first to be conceived. Um, the Iftorat Rihman who will leave her womb first, the Tol Etabakhara Min Haddin, and take the firstborn position legally. But it didn't work out. All he did was he showed his desire for that to happen by hanging on to his ankle, his heel. Um, it's interesting. Uh, what do you make of this? What do you. What do you make of this? And what I said before, the reason I said what I said, I said we've got to read this because I said something that you have to understand. One could synopsize the first half of the Torah or so as in the following way. Are you ready? There are a few ways you could do it. But you know this thing that firstborns get more, deserve more? That's not true. It's about merit. It's about character. It's about what you do with your life. And the guys with the best character and who do the best things, they win. That's what it's about. It's a meritocracy, it's about being democratic and American, and that, that, that's what the Torah is about, first half of the Torah. Good synopsis? No? Was that a no? Why not? Name me a Bukhar who won, who won. There isn't one. This, except for this, this miserable Medrash, that tries to make Yaakov the Bukhar, but it doesn't listen to this Medrash. Ruvain. I mean, all of them. Every single one. Yishmael, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Esav. It's the way it is. The Torah is about... And there's a very important lesson. I'm going to stop. I'm going to be like a serious guy now. <clears throat> there's a very important lesson. It's about what you do. It's not about the formalities of things. 
That's the Torah versus Avodah Zarah. Avodah Zarah is about the formalities of things. The Egyptian Khartoumim, you know, the, 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 it's all like, well, we can do it too. We can also, but they're lacking the real moral ethical stance of Moshe. Aaron and Moshe, another period. Um, uh, it, it was, I think it is a very important Torah message that it's, it's not about formality and legality. It's about the truth of the situation. That's what I think. I think it's that way in halacha too. You were thinking, what about halachic stuff? Right? Formality, legality. Same thing. If you, if you look at any psak, what's the story? How bad does it hurt? How bad a blow will it be? What can we do to help? Halacha is about figuring out the true human situation. That's what psak is about. I mean, like a dead chicken is a dead chicken. It's not allowed. Nobody even there has said maruba. And if the poor people are not going to be able to eat a chicken again for a month, we try harder to make the chicken kosher. So, but this is a big conversation. No time. No time. Um, so this, so I didn't really want to learn this Rashi, because it sort of takes us off our topic. Um, so let's just put it aside. It was good. And let's get back to our, what we're doing. Okay. Let's go back now to our mikro. The boys grew up. And Esav was a hunter, a guy of the field. Yaakov is a simple man, a uh, uncomplicated man. A, it's, it's not simple. Yosheb Olim, he's sitting in the tent. Right? Esav is out in the field. Yaakov is in the tent. This is like a classic guy Jew dichotomy. Down to this very day. Down to today, a, I saw a crummy movie the other day, the other week, by um, it's a guy Barry Levinson. He's a director who's a Jewish guy, obviously from Baltimore, and he made a number of movies about growing up Jewish in Baltimore. Avalon, um, something else. They're not so good, but he's a well thought. He also made the funniest movie ever made, Wag the Dog. It's the funniest movie ever made, Wag the Dog. It's about Quentin and. Uh, it's the first movie we ever made. Um, but he made these movies like Growing Up Jewish in Baltimore. And the one I just saw recently wasn't Avalon, it was the other one. I don't remember what it's called. Uh, so you have the Jewish kids dying to break into Goyish society. They're like high school, college, you know, the preppy, Biff and Bam, you know, all Sarah Palin's kids, you know, Biff and Bam. They're all blonde, they're all good looking. And the Jews are also like, you know, and, and the, the blonde girl who's like the object of the whole thing rides up on a horse. That's how she like enters the, the Jewish guy's life. Right? <laughs> Liberty Heights. There you go. Liberty Heights. Which is the neighborhood in Baltimore. I guess so. Like it. And it's just unbelievable. This, the Jews are all indoors and they're all in the Gaimro up there, you know, with the fields and campfires and horses. And this and the Nazis, by the way, liked Esau. They said this is typical Jewish trick. Esau is a man of nature, a man at one with the natural world, and Yaakov is this tricky little Jew, and they make Yaakov the hero and not Esau. Where are the sons of Esau? They, no, they really did this to the Nazis. They did it literally. They didn't do it like, I'm not saying a pshat. They said it, right? And they're right. They're really right. Because Jews have embraced this image of Yosheva Halim, Ishtam, and of being clever. He's not clever yet. He's going to be clever. Well, the holding the 
uh, heel was clever, I guess, and he's going to get clever as we know through the Parsha. Jews have embraced this. I mean, you know, this, I, I happen to be in America for the elections, the American elections. It's unbelievable. I was really, it's an unbelievable moment. I'm an Obama freak. I don't care what you guys think. <laughs> I'm, Obama, I'm real Obama freak. I think it's a tremendous, tremendous thing for the whole world. And the Jews voted for Obama, 78%, more than for Kerry. Um, and with all the talk, he's a Muslim, he's a this, he's a that. They're all Jews. He's surrounding himself with Jews. It's unbelievable. We do, I, I, in a couple of weeks, I, now I'm going to sound like a, you know, in a couple of weeks I'm going back to America. I take a group of Israeli high school seniors to America every year, Hanukkah, Christmas time, because you use the Hanukkah vacation. Um, and we take them to Washington, to New York. And in Washington, we meet APAC people, we meet uh, congressional aides. Once or twice we met a congressman. It's very hard, because they're off for Christmas vacation already. But we meet congressional aides. They're all Jewish. They're all Jewish. And, and we're careful to tell them, you know how many Jews there are in the Senate? I think now it's 12. It's been 11 for a long time. You know, 12. And you know how many blacks there are in the Senate? There was one for a while with Obama. Before that, it was none. Now it's going to be none again, right? And like after a day and a half, they go, Shimon, Shimon. So the Jews really do run America, right? This is, it's true. It's Zinahan. Shimon, Zinahan. And it's hard for me to, to deny it. I mean, the Jews really do run America. So this being clever is, is something we've embraced. We have. And hunting is something we have not embraced. So I just want to point out to you, these stereotypes are very powerful. The Yaakov, Esau stereotype is very powerful. Where, not for the first time in Jewish history, but in the broadest canvas in Jewish history, have we tried to subvert these stereotypes? Here in Israel. They did it before. There was Maccabi in Europe, and they were tough Jews, and they were, you know, Jews who boxed, and you know, they were. But the broadest canvas on which we tried to say, no, 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 we're not going to do that anymore, is here in Israel. And, uh, you know, David Mamet, the playwright and screenwriter, David Mamet, he's a Jewish guy, he goes to shul every Shabbos, I'm told, a reform shul, every Shabbos. And he, he uh, wrote a movie called Homicide, uh, in which a Jewish detective... Uh, handles a murder of a Jewish, elderly Jewish woman shopkeeper. And he gets involved in crazy Zionist, it's like the craziest, Mammon is nuts. He loves tough Jews. And he has written a lot about tough Jews. He wrote a, a thing in the Times about Michael Oren. Anybody know Michael Oren? He lives, uh, I think, in Baca. Um, he's at Harvard. So he wrote a thing about, you know, he, he goes to Harvard every now and again to teach. He's the Shalem Institute. So Mamet wrote about uh, Michael, being at Michael Oren's house in, I think, Baca over Shabbos. Michael still does Miluim. His son is in the army. And Mamet is like drooling over these tough Jews and they go to the army. And they're people who like, don't feel good about being uh, uh, a Yaakov type Jew. They, they don't want to be that. They want to be an Aesop type Jew. Well, kill people. You know, you're going to bother us, we're going to kill you. That's what we do here in Israel, right? So we do. So, these are important things to think about. Um, let's move forward. Hang on. Okay, Chavzayin and Rashi. Turn the page over, please. Right side, by, towards the bottom. Chavzayin, the last Rashi. Next to last. The last is on the very bottom line. Vayigdilu hanna'arim vayi esav ish Okay? They grew up, and Esav was a hunter, a man of the field. 
All the while when they were young, Lo hayuni karim b'maasehem. You couldn't tell who they were from their actions. And no one can tell really, no one can really get uh, what they're like. Kevan, no one could comment on, no one could notice, no one could say anything about what they were really like. Kevan, when they became 13, Na'arim, by Hanarim, they were Gadol, right? They were 13, that's when you become a Gadol. This one, Yaakov went to Yeshivas, Medrash, and he went to do Avodazar. Now this rings all the bells. Oh, just like in the womb. He went to the Yeshiva, he went to Avodazara. When does this happen? When they're 13. Till then, you couldn't tell. You couldn't see. And then when they got to be 13, they actualized that. And now you could see, he's hanging out over there, and he's hanging out over there. And when you go to do Avodazara, you also apparently hunt and are out in the field all day, right? Avodazara is about nature. That's what Avodazara is. It's worshipping natural forces. But why were there all these screwy things, gods, crocodiles, and bulls? Because they were powerful. They were powerful forces of nature. Right? So that's what Esau is, a man of nature. Now this happened when they were 13. What does this delay of 13 years do for us? What does it make us think? Oh, so you have in utero, they were acting out. Then they were like quiet for 13 years, and then, okay, today I'm a man, let's go. So that's strange, right? Because maybe in utero, you know that you want to go to Shul and you want to go to Avarazara, but you don't have a, 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 a superego. You just act. And then when you're born, I don't really mean this, but in the story, then when you're born, so uh, I have to act right. So they both acted, you know, I have to... You know what I'm saying? Because in utero, it's like a, a magical world. Who they really are comes out in their behavior. Then, when they're kids, you can't really tell what they're like. Why can't you really tell what they're like? I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Why can't you tell what they're like when they're kids? When Asaph was born, the angel hit him on the face and he forgot about his name. I, I really like that. No, I really like that. I really like that. Because before you're 13, what do you like? What does it say in the Rashi? What did Rashi say? I do this every time I ever teach a shir. Put your finger on the place. Find me the words. Read me the magic words. Before they were, when they were little, the ain adam midakdek bahem mativa. Nobody could see exactly. No one could get precisely what they're like. Why not? Kids. And they weren't really like that yet. You can't, I, I don't know, he's a little wild, he's a little quiet, I don't know. Because they weren't really like that yet. They weren't really like that yet. You know, I think this 13 year hiatus, where they were just, I don't know, regular kids, I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard to imagine what they were really like. Yaakov wasn't acting like Yaakov, and Esau wasn't acting like Esau. And, and Rashi, interestingly, has... He introduces this, these people. No one can tell what they're like, right? Why does he say it that way? Why doesn't he say they weren't really who they would be? Then when they got to be 13, they matured and were who they were. Why does he put, why does he have us see it through the eyes of this no, this no one who can't see what they're like? Because I think what helps or hurts us in becoming who we are is how we are defined by others. And how others say, oh, he's a, he's a, that's what he is. 
there's, there's a kind of a there's a kind of a dialogue going on between the boys and the world. The world calls Esav and Esav. Look, but, but that's not so bad. Look, he's all so mature, so physical, so Yaakov is a Yaakov. I don't know what that means exactly. Tricky. I don't know. And then for 13 years, they're like in this kind of childhood of we don't know what they're like. We just made them not like anything. You know, so I want to posit that in terms of our questions earlier, what about free will? That was the window of opportunity. That was the window of opportunity. For someone to make Esau not an Esau and Yaakov not a Yaakov. Now watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Pasuk Chavchet. Back to the Pshukim. The next Pasuk. Chavchet. Vayehav Yitzchak et Esav. Kitzayi Befif. Rivka Ohebet et Yaakov. Yaakov did what his mother wanted him to do. And Esau did what his father wanted him to do. Yitzchak wanted a boy like that. Yitzchak, who's one of the larger nebishes in the history of the world, right? Come, I'll shecht you, come. Okay, right? Who's blinded at the Akedah. But you know that? Later on in the Pasha, Yitzchak can't see, right? And Rashi says, why can't he see? What happened? All say he can't see. He's been... So there's one shot. Another shot. One shot is he's been blind since the Akedah. Since the Akedah. Be psychological. You see a father over you with a knife? One response is to go blind. Right? There's a thing with angels were crying and the tears fell into his eyes. That's like a... Right? Yitzchak is a guy who Bakoshi acts in the entire Chumash. And, you know, his parishes. He wanted Esau to be Esau. And Rivka wanted Yaakov to be Yaakov. They made them who they were. And the world, like, let them be who they are. And then when they were 13, they said, look what they're like. And put a stamp of approval. That's what they, Esau, you're an Esau. Now, I don't want to, I, I want to like go, I should, wanna, somebody in the back should say, you have to go to Hebron. And go to Marasa Machpelah and ask forgiveness of Yitzchak and Rivka for saying what you said. But thank God no one's going to say that, so I'm not going to do it. Um, it's a harsh thing that I'm saying. But this love... Thank you. Thank you. Something's wrong here, as there is with every family we have in the Chumash. You know it's not. I really like all my kids. I, I, I try to think, who do I favor... As they get really older, so they have real lives, and you go, oh, well, that's working out better than that. You know, it's different. But I, I don't, what do you think, people? Is it natural to, like, really love it one kid more than the other? No, no, leave that aside. Let's look at our life experience, and do we feel looking back that we do that, we did that? I don't, my kids think I did it. But they all say it about each other, so that, I'm good, right? They all say it about each other, so that means I'm doing the right thing. I don't know, but you're totally right though. You're totally right that like every family in the Chumich, which makes me think every family in the world, deep dysfunction here. And that pastor, you're very right, that's the deep dysfunction. And the nature of the dysfunction is for Yitzchak to want a son who is not like him. A son who's there, you know, really like a man, that kind of man, which Yitzchak was not. And Rivka, we can go into this. Why? I mean, you tell me. Why did Rivka want a Yaakov? 
Ravan Bisuel, she wants a tzaddik for a son. That's what she wants. She's working her whole life to become a tzaddikas. Yeah, it's working or not. Let me have at least a son who's a tzaddik. And so I see Yaakov and Esau, and here's the summary, and then we're done. Of course we all have genes, and there's an anger gene, and a selfishness gene, and a selflessness gene, and we also have life experience. We also have a family and a community in which we grow up that puts the stamp on us of what we're going to be. Now, this is still not so good for free will, because it's still a function. But hey, that's what Freud thinks, right? I mean, Freud, we have a lot of free will. You do enough crazy stuff to your kids, you kill them. It's, it's all over. They're nuts. You're nice enough to your kids, they'll be okay. Although, my wife and I have this thing. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Hang on one second. Let's see. Can I call you right back? Okay, bye. Um, on the nose, yeah, you see? So I'll finish right now. Uh, my wife has this thing. You know, all these, see all these good kids of parents who seem to be horrible parents? You know, who objectively have the divorce, abandoned them. How? It's not fair. How you know? It's not fair. Um, so on some level, I think kids do things on their own. That's sort of not in here so much. This is very loaded on, on a level of, look how they were made in the world, you know, both genetically and etc., etc. But I think this last Rashi, and then that killer of a Pasuk, she loved him, he loved him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, it's their parents. It's their life experiences. Children, Freud would say, those first years, that's it that really made them who they were. Yes, there was a predisposition. Yes, there were genes there, but no. At the end of the day, there's a family, there are interactions, and somewhere one would hope, and a free will. Yes, I have a father who wants me to be this, but I don't want to be that. Yes, I have a mother who's pretty, but I don't, you know, but that's not here so much, so we'll just leave it out. Okay? Shabbat Shalom.